when the title of my life sucked and what I did about it kept replaying in my head, I'm like, what would I say with this? And this was something that I was actually going to really produce for the world to see. Welcome to You Should Write a Book About That. My name is Kim O'Hara. I'm an intuitive book coach at A Story Inside, and I'm interviewing fascinating people from all walks of life who have a story to tell. Do they have a book in them? Stick around and find out. I met Peps waiting for a plane from my home state of Rhode Island back to Los Angeles. I had been there for a speaking engagement, but felt there was kind of closure with my past going on. A creative advisor of mine had stressed seeing the eagle as a sign that I was on the right path. And here, waiting for the plane, was Peps, hot, young, swarthy, clearly a model of some kind, wearing this huge eagle ring. And I'm compelled on one hand as a friendly person to absolutely connect. And then on the other hand, I don't want him to think I'm hitting on him. And then I was like, fuck it. And I opened my mouth and we talked. And now I feel like we're eagle spirits together. How are you today? I'm really well. How are you? I'm really good. Do these connections happen to you a lot? Um, not too often, but they've happened before on a few different occasions. And what do you attest to those? Are you a particularly spiritual person? I am spiritual, yes, but I also feel like it's also you attract who you are type of thing or what you do. Um, so it's happened a few times from either fashion or we're reading the same book or we bump into each other and we have a similar connection. So it's a few things like that. So it's creativity is an energy and a strength. and We've talked about this a little bit about being more identified as an artist and a creative versus a male, right? Like you're from the Dominican Republic. So there's this whole typical male machismo that comes with that. How do you navigate those stereotypes as a male who doesn't, you know, particularly identify with that? Um, well, I think for me, especially, I've grown up in the arts so it's pretty much my home world so to speak uh more so than anything else meaning my family moved from dominican republic to rhode island when i was like five and we had to learn a whole new culture a whole new language and for me everything that i loved revolved around the arts so i found a lot of myself based off those things versus on anything else that was either um, established by other people, if that makes sense. Right. And your parents were not even English speakers when they came. So they were learning English while working in the factories and also waiting tables. Yeah. And actually, none of us knew English. I actually didn't learn English till I was maybe 10 or 11 because I went to a two-way bilingual school, which basically means you learn in Spanish and have one hour of ESL. Got it. So like, so do you think that that contributed to having more of a use of the other senses, like feeling into your body or, you know, the eyes, the ears, because you couldn't understand the language? Um, not quite sure. What I do think did contribute to that was the fact that I was the youngest of four and both my sisters had each other. 
Um, my brother was 10 years older than me, so he had way different interests than a five-year-old. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. So, so I had a lot of time to myself. So I would just either read books by myself or I would play video games by myself. I would draw lots of really terrible drawings that my mom still has in her home um, by myself. So a lot of the artistry or creativity just came from me literally spending all my time by myself. Wow. That's interesting because I hear that I can relate to that as a creative, spending a lot of my summers on a, you know, on a window bench, reading books, kind of lost in that fantasy, the story, you know, and yeah. the solitude um, of creation. The immigrant story, you know, coming to Rhode Island, uh, what kind of money messages were given to you growing up about your worth and creativity being able to sustain you as a dancer and an actor? Well, I think in my household from, especially my parents, they were always working. Um, when we moved, my parents didn't know English, as we mentioned. So they did whatever they could uh, to make sure that we were taken care of. So I always saw my parents work really, really hard to give us everything that they could. So I think the only real money message that I was given by them was to just work as hard as possible. Um, the fact that they moved an entire family of six from a third world country, and now my parents are retiring from being teachers with over 20 years of teaching in the States. And my sisters are successful. My brother moved to Spain, um, making headway in entertainment. Um, we never had any direct guidance as what we should do for, fi for finances, but to just work really, really hard. Granted, growing up, I never saw anybody like myself, an immigrant from a third world, third world country who didn't learn English till he was 11, make it. The closest thing was Jennifer Lopez. Um, <laughs> right. Which no, she's, doing, she's, doing, she's doing great. Love Jennifer Lopez. She's doing pretty good for herself. She came from the Bronx um, and is worth almost half a billion dollars by herself. Um, so it was inspiring to see another Latino in the public eye being so great. So that inspired me to know that almost anything is possible. I hadn't even really thought about that in terms of you growing up and not having really anyone else to look at and say, oh, I'm going to be like that person. I mean, it, it's it's your situation was extremely unique. and I'm you know, really impressed by the perseverance of how your family turned out when, you know, it just sounds like everybody just really, you know, work, like you said, worked hard to not get stuck in this poverty immigrant mentality. Um, and it's interesting because I was thinking about this last night because we were talking about you know, I, when I met you, I said, oh, you should write a book about that. And you're like, funny, you should mention that I've already written one book and now I'm working on another book. And when we talked about it, then we were like, you know, my life sucks. And what I did about it, I think is your next book. And where did that yeah. turn for you? Where did that turn for you? Where did the disillusionment come in? Um, well, surprisingly, it actually came semi-recently in my life the period that I'm focusing on in this book 
um, is about 2017 through 2018, beginning of 2019. and I had just finished a dance program that was really, really great. It was super exclusive to get into. I had been making a lot of money. My entertainment career was beginning to take off. I was getting into a relationship that I was really excited about. And then a few months later, everything kind of came crashing down. Um, my job let me go. I stopped booking work. I got injured. And then I totaled my car. So kind of everything came crashing down. Um, and then the relationship was definitely oh a car crash. <laughs> I never want to go back into. Um, but I went through this period where I was really forced to just look at myself um, and how, I, how, how I've been working. I'm pretty big into the world of personal development. So reading things from Jim Rohn or Tony Robbins, um, Danny Johnson, and they always talk about you kind of create the life that you li- that you live. So I was really looking at what was it that I needed to change for myself. So within that time period, I lost everything from pretty much all of my money that I had worked and saved for. I had to go back to a drawing board as far as being an artist. And then relationship-wise, which I'm still figuring out, I had to just really see why I was attracting the same type of character in this, I guess let's go with a book theme into this, this book that I had been living. Um, So that really forced me to work on my mind a little bit more and not just so much from the lens of finances or career, but me as a person. Um, We hear it all the time that who you are affects everything that you do or who you are is is who you bring to every situation. So that really forced me to really dive deeper into how I think and what I wanted versus what I was doing. Did you have moments where you looked at what we described, you know, in the beginning of this conversation? The family that, you know, rose to, uh, you know, uh, under all conditions to be successful and make it the great values. And then did you look at yourself and go, Peps, what is your deal? Did you have that moment where you thought maybe there was a part of you that was broken? Um, well, I never like to go with the idea of anything being broken, so to speak, because I think, you know, what we do and I, by we, I mean all of us can lead to any level of success. Um, I don't think my life was a failure at that time, but what I did realize what I wanted was way different than what I had and also what I had experienced. I love my family, especially my parents, but you know, they did the best that they could with what they knew. Um, meaning that I couldn't really look to them to guide the to guide myself for the life that I wanted as far as career or relationships because at the end of the day, they don't have what I want, meaning nobody's an artist in entertainment or nobody really has the relationship that I look for. And I say that because I'm not straight. So I can't really use them as a good benchmark for the life that I'm creating for myself because nobody's done that in my family, Um, which is not to discredit what they do. It's just we're just completely different people with completely different lifestyles. And I would say I'm even more unique in my family because I'm doing something completely different. I left 
the nine to five corporate lifestyle. Um, so not straight, um, which is very different for my family to see somebody who's being so open and comfortable with themselves right. to do that. So I can't really look to them for that. So it's, 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 there's, there's mold breaking here on a lot of different levels, right? There's the Latino male who is, you know, uh, gay, but not necessarily making that an identification. That's just part of who you are in your life. The artistry, the accepting you were raised well, but there is actually a ceiling there that you need to break for you. Yes. Right. And I think a lot of us that grew up in, in, in it doesn't matter what our race is or what our gender is or what our sexuality is for some of us, for many of us, there's ceilings that need to be broken and it's painful. And often those yes. ceilings come with the deconstruction of absolutely everything. Yep. And so when you write, tell me about you as a writer, how do you write? Like, how will you go about writing this book? Tell me about your writing practice. Uh, well, I think I'm still figuring that out for myself. Um, it's only my second book. And the first one actually came pretty easily to me. Um, I kind of just always go with an idea, meaning when we talked, the title really stayed with me for weeks. And I was like, there's something here. And usually it's the same thing when I write music. I'll get like a word or one line that'll stay with me for quite some time. So then I start focusing on as, as to why. Um, so for this book in specific, when the title My Life Sucked and what I did about it kept replaying in my head, I'm like, what would I say with this if this was something that I was actually going to really produce for the world to see? And what I really wanted to share was, in part, my story, but also what I did. Um, so I kind of just worked backwards, meaning we had a title, but no book. And then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> no book. Which is usually that's the last thing that I feel like many people come up with is a title at the end. Um, but for me, even with the music, I'll have the title first and I'm like, OK, but what's the song? So I kind of worked backwards and then I really just came up with the strategy where I said I'll share, you know, stories of my personal life and things that I did in specific to each thing. So in one of the things that I wrote about was me being unwilling to ask for help and how that actually kind of led to uh, my car crash. And then I kind of just worked backwards from the car crash into like what was happening with me and then why I learned to ask for help from that situation. Well, that sounds amazing. And I have to tell you that, you. and I was thinking about this yesterday and I'm just going to say it flat out. I don't have any Hispanic clients, which shocks me. I have African-American clients, male and female. I have Asian clients. I have, you know, Caucasian clients. I've spoken to many influential women who are Latina, who are, you know, involved in, in, in many organizations. I don't know why there aren't enough to self-help and personal development books written by Latina and Latino authors. And so I know you're filling a really important niche. I know you are. Thank you. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm actually excited for not even just the book, but for the music. And in the future, I want to have my own personal development company that will be fully operational in both English and Spanish. I think it's great for, you know, anybody who does speak English. But I recently did a seminar in Spanish at the beginning of this whole pandemic that was geared towards mental health for Latinos, especially in New York. And I brought in these two great social workers who are both bilingual English and Spanish speakers. And one of the things that the audience talked about was that they don't have these resources as available. And that's one of the things that I do recognize within this industry of personal development is that it's very limited, primarily to English speaking audiences, which is fine. But there's so much more in the world and so many other people that actually do need these resources and this information. So I'm actually very excited to be doing more uh, for Latinos and Spanish speaking people. Oh, I love to hear that. And you really just made me pause on what I said earlier. Maybe it has nothing to do with the color of the people that are writing books. Maybe it comes down to um, people not being able to speak English and like what you struggled with as a young boy until you were almost 11. I mean, those are the formative years, right? That you're not able to speak the language of the country you're living in. Yeah, um, I would say that I think it's a mixture of a few things from language and color. Um, I would be remiss to to not say that what I do and kind of like the life that I have is very uh, different for many people with my background. So I'm very, very thankful that I'm able to do what I do and I love what I do. Um, but because I see myself the way I see myself now and where I want to go in the future, I do feel like I have a responsibility to show other people who are either immigrants or Latinos or who grew up with very little to no money that they can have more than what they think they do. Um, Because I grew up not having a lot. Me and my brother would sleep on the floor for a few years when we first moved to this country and I was working since I was like 13, 14. Um, So I want to inspire other people who come from a similar background to not settle and also to just work really really hard um for what you want because that's honestly the most important thing that i can ever say to anybody is to just really work and go for it work really really hard and write more books yes (laughs) they'll follow your lead thank you so (laughs) much for being here and talking with us today thank you i really enjoy talking to you all the time it's great (laughs) You've been listening to, you should write a book about that. If you enjoyed our episode, tell a friend to listen, subscribe, and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And a big shout out to our listeners on CastBox, where you can leave a comment and I will personally respond.